0: Today, I'm talking with Ruth Apollonia, author of Annabelle of Ankeny, both the first book in the series and the series itself. And that first book is also called Burdens of the Mind. Ruth, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us about Annabelle. Tell us about the series, the book, and the character.
1: Sure. Um, My seal for the first book is it takes place in the 13th century. A little girl is kidnapped and taken to an island where she runs away from her kidnappers. There's a man on the island who raises her and teaches her how to survive and how to defend herself. teaches her about the sacraments and what she's missing by not being where there are priests. And then eventually she gets off the island and has to find her way back home. And it goes on from there. So it's an ongoing series. Okay.
0: And much of that first book is about Annabelle searching both for her family and her own identity. Why is that search for identity such a universal theme, especially for young adults?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, really it's all of our journey, right? In life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, we are just, you know, we we come into the world and we we don't know what's going on. You know, even as as children. Um, so I'm a pediatric occupational therapist and so like the development of the child and everything um, you know we take it through our senses we, we take everything in and we grow and we learn but like first it's the you know body aspects but then like spiritually you know we um, seek out God
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and like the, the ultimate goal is to get to heaven mm-hmm. so um, everyone has their own journey and you know I think seeing it on a page like um, reading Annabelle's story kind of seeing how she develops in the same way because um, you know at first she's just she's on an island and she's just kind of like oh look at the, the pretty flowers woods you know that kind of stuff just taking it all in mm-hmm. um, but she grows up and um, and spiritually grows as well and so really it's it's everyone's journey, and um, it's God's call for us is to grow closer to Him. And mm-hmm. so, like you know, it's just it's a universal thing because it's everyone's journey. It's everyone's journey. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's amazing how often, kind of in in the Christian life, the the universal and the particular mirror each other to such a great extent. In some sense, we're all we're all that that prodigal son, we're all the elder brother, we're, we we play all the different roles in the parables at different times in our lives, it seems like. So what, what inspired you to tell this story in the first place, the story of Annabelle specifically?
1: Yeah, well, I started writing in 2005, like 2006, 2007, and um, I think I, I first I just started writing because I... Was doing like taking so many science courses and everything. I was in um, getting my master's in occupational therapy at the time, and so I wanted like my right brain just needed to get out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it was the time when the Harry Potter books were being made into movies, and the Da Vinci Code had been out,
2: mm-hmm. um, had
1: come out. I haven't read any of those, but I heard the talk about how. Excuse me. How um, they potentially were leading people away from Christ, and I was like, "Well, why can't there be fiction that actually teaches um, about Christ, makes someone grow closer to Christ, you know, teaches about His Church?" Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, "Well, what situation would somebody be in if, like, that's all they had to do was to like learn about Christ?" So I was like, "Well." if someone was on a deserted island by themselves like, and had nothing else to do, well, that that would be a case. And then, like, okay, well, it would have to be a child mm-hmm. um, just for it to make sense. Otherwise, if it was an adult <clears throat> and someone was teaching them, it, I don't know, it just seemed a little off to me. <clears throat> um, but then there has to be a person on there to teach them. So that's how, like, Peter gets there and then it's like okay well she's on this island what else can she learn from like being on the island and that's how like how to survive on the island comes in Mm -hmm. and then it's the backstory of okay why is she on the island why is he on the island and um, it just kind of like snowballed from there Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I never I, I didn't really have I mean honestly it it must have been inspiration from the Holy Spirit because I never plotted anything. It just I would just write and be like, okay, what logically would happen next? type of thing. Um so it was kind of just an an ongoing, you know, just it came out as I wrote. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I think that that's the story of a lot of writers and a lot of stories over the years. That for whatever reason that was that was the story to be told at that time in their life. Um, so, I have I have certainly read the book, um, and there was one you know you have you have it in the Catholic world in a Catholic um, setting certainly. There is one outstanding Catholic part of the book though throughout, and we've got to be careful to avoid spoilers and all that. But you have a very strong presentation of the communion of saints. Um, talk to me about how your own walk with Christ led you to being able to depict the community of saints so powerfully?
2: Yeah.
1: So I'm a cradle Catholic, and um, growing up, like I heard um, stories about the saints and, um, you know, probably watched a movie or two. Um, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade, so we Mm -hmm. probably watched some movies or whatever. Um, But it was nothing that I really Thought out, like researched on my own, I should say, mm-hmm. until I was preparing for confirmation. And um, I was looking for a, a saint for my confirmation name. And that's when um, I came upon St. Apollonia. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. So she
1: is the HMS of dental diseases and toothaches. She died in 249. Um, story is she either had all of her teeth knocked out or pulled out, like individually, mm-hmm. by a Christian persecutor, and they had threatened to throw her um, into the fire if she didn't renounce Christ, mm-hmm. and inspired by the Holy Spirit, she actually jumped in willingly. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to um, go through surgery on my mouth
2: mm-hmm.
1: within like, the, the next year, so I chose her as my, my patron saint. Yep. And um, – and then when I had my surgery, um, it, it was on my mouth, and then my mouth was like rubber-banded closed. So I was pretty much just like miserable afterwards because um, I couldn't eat. I was literally four hours shy away from eating anything for an entire week. And um, pain, pain really wasn't the problem because I was on pain medicine. I was just miserable, and I was so hungry, and mm-hmm. I could like feel my body eating itself. It was really bad and so then when i have people come visit me they they'd be like oh you know you need to offer this up for the holy souls in purgatory you know and finally after the fifth person told me that Mm -hmm. i was like okay i think god's trying to tell me something Mm -hmm. so i was like okay god um this misery that I'm going through, I will unite it with your suffering and offer it up for the holy souls in purgatory for so at least they, you know, can feel better from my misery. <laughs> and it was so surprising to me when I offered up that prayer, how I actually felt better. Like I physically felt better, just, just a little bit, not mm-hmm. much, um, but just a little bit. And like, I don't know if it was like a psychological thing where I'm like, ooh, I'm helping people, and so I feel better, or if it was because I was praying for them, offering it up for them, that they were praying for me, and my pain, like my misery was actually less, you know, um, or a combination of both. But that is um, definitely where my um, devotion for the Holy Souls in Purgatory came from, was from like my my time of misery Mm -hmm. (laughs) after my surgery. And the fact that, like, I feel it, like when, when I offer any kind of pain up that I'm going through, like you accept it and offer it up, I always feel a little bit better, you yeah. know? And I, I think it mm-hmm. just, it, to me, it's it's no question of whether, like, there is a connection with the communion of things, like I've I've never questioned it, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like I know they're there. I know they're watching over me. Um, and if you know, if I ask them to pray for me, they will intercede.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I've never questioned it. And just like you know, with the holy souls, it's like I, I actually feel it. Like physically in my body, I feel better when I um, offer offer up my suffering for
0: them. Yep. That's a gift. That's a gift and I I envy that gift, honestly. Um, I'd be glad of having that. So it sounds like St. Apollonia is your favorite saint you would say. Am I right? Um,
1: well, I after that, like I started mm-hmm. um researching more saints and stuff and I'm really drawn to Padre Pio.
2: <laughs> and
1: yeah. um or, St. Pio Petulicina, I think that's how you say his official title.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the, I think the reason I'm so drawn to him is because he died in 1968, I believe. And just the fact that I was like, wow, my parents could have met him, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas, like, St. Apollonia, she died in 249. You yeah. know? <laughs> There's no one around who would have known her. Um, but yeah, with St. Um, with Padre Pio it's like oh wow my like he was really recent my parents could have met him um, and when I discovered him it was like before um, uh, Mother Teresa was canonized and I think John Paul II was still alive at the time so he was like the saint that was like the, the most recent my, that I had found you know and, and I just thought that that was so cool that fact that it was so recent mm-hmm. and then also you know his gifts and everything like that and how he lived but yeah. but just the fact that he lived so recently was what what really drew me
0: yeah well and it sounds like you share a common I don't know if I would say love of redemptive suffering but an appreciation for it
1: appreciation I would say that it's not like I seek out you know, suffering. Mm-hmm. I I have not. Um, but like last week, when I had some kind of virus or something, and I had um, a fever, and you know, it was just I was feeling really bad. And then at a certain point, I'm, I was just like, okay, you know what? I accept this and accept it for the holy souls. And it's just like, bam! I just feel a little bit better. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's it's just part of the
2: acceptance. Okay. Yeah,
0: but how about, how about sharing a bit more about Padre Pio, let's not assume that all of our listeners know the okay. stories of, of his miracles
1: okay, um, well he for one thing he could bilocate meaning he could be in two places at the same time um, mm-hmm. when people went to confession to him he often told them their sins <laughs> mm-hmm. so he had like gifts of knowledge and um, he could also speak in tongues as in someone would come to confession to him and like they only spoke um i don't know like english and he didn't speak english mm-hmm. but he would hear them in italian and he would was able to give them confession because he heard them in his his language <clears throat> so he could communicate like that he also had um the stigmata on his his hands and his feet um yeah there's just there's there's so much stuff and he was at the time there was um a lot of question of whether like was he creating the stigmatas himself like injuring himself and so um he was um like at a certain point told that he couldn't say mass couldn't say mass like a public mass mm-hmm. and he was very obedient um and that's probably one of the biggest signs for religious people of, of whether they are um, being faithful is whether they're obedient to their superiors
2: yeah.
0: yeah yeah that's very true yeah that his obedience is a model for all of us including those of us who confront those times where gosh darn it I want f- meat on Fridays in Lent or gosh yeah. darn it I you know I would I would Rather do anything else this morning on Sunday for whatever reason than go to mass, but but even when we don't feel like it, that adherence to God's will is so important. Yeah, very much so. And you yeah. certainly do depict the sort of the sacrifices of that fidelity and loyalty throughout the Annabelle series, um, including in Annabelle's own life. You give us a very strong female protagonist, and and she's often surprising those around her with her. With her, both her with her skills and with her strength, why is that such an important reality to portray for young adult Catholics?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think ultimately, I think the thing that makes her so um, such a good character is that you know her virtue, and you know not the fact that you know Peter has taught her you know how to protect herself, you know, but it's the the virtue that's behind it mm-hmm. and um i think that is what is needed <laughs> especially in um you know our world and to have examples of that um laid out in front of people you know that they can read about and perhaps like see it in their mind as they read mm-hmm. um yeah so i just think having that example is you know of um, you know, following the virtues and um, following what God wants for her in her life.
0: Yeah. but I think that one of the crucial things about your depiction of her is the extent to which it's such a disciplined strength. You know, it's, it's a strength that she has mastery over, not just that she's a physically strong person or a person with a big personality, but rather that she, she is in command of herself and able then to direct that strength in virtuous ways, in prudent ways, in holy ways even, I would say, by the end. And that that is so different, I think, than what we often imagine as strength in the modern world. I'm not sure how we've lost that appreciation of of discipline and um, of direction, of focus. Yeah, that is true. <clears throat> I guess I've never
2: really... Um...
1: of thought about it on that you know it's just like i i was just writing a story i want to read (laughs) so oftentimes when people read it and they ask me these certain questions i'm like oh i've never thought about it that way you know um yeah
0: (laughs) i think that's one of the marks of of having told a good story is when it's it's grown its own life when it's bigger than you are it feels like
1: yeah (laughs)
0: okay now throughout the book we also get to see the difference between true masculine strength versus abusive or often false bullying men do you find that young catholic men today struggle to learn true chivalry
1: yeah i think um i think it depends on the um like the child themselves Mm -hmm. and who is kind of guiding their life so if they if they're listening to the culture and to like television and that kind of stuff yeah it's definitely going to be a problem for them yeah. but um, you know if they are following like if they have a really good role model in their father or a grandfather or something like that um if they listen to christ's words um, you know then there is the example there um
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i think it's a matter of where they're coming from But then I think also with females, that oftentimes because of our culture, that they are not accepting Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of the deeds and stuff that um, might be given to them, you know, um, like such as opening the door, um, you know, so I think, um, I think it's, if it's a problem for boys, it's a problem for girls as well, as mm-hmm. accepting it. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, and, and I like the fact that you talk about father figures and not just biological fathers because you have in the book a very strong mentor figure in Peter, um, yeah. a man who comes to share Annabelle's um, isolation on the island uh, and who then really does serve as a father in the absence of her biological father. Talk to me about the importance of adult Catholics exercising that role for for those younger than us or those less experienced than us and the faith, even.
1: Yeah, it was definitely it's crucial. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, just having that example of um, of how to live, you yeah. know, uh, you know how to live virtue, and like y- you never know, looking at an older person in church, like what all they have been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, you know, probably probably been through so much yeah. and like, it's survived. They've made it, you know. Yeah. Um. So just having those examples is is so important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, examples around us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The communion of saints on earth, as well as the communion of saints with those in heaven.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. And now we've been focusing upon virtue and strength. Let's, let's turn our attention briefly to the opposite. Um, throughout the book and throughout the series, you offer a strong indictment, I would say, of the sort of reckless revolutionary violence favored by your antagonists, the Demolites. Did portions of church history inspire this portrayal? Where did this come from?
1: Yeah, so there wasn't one like, certain moment in church history that mm-hmm. inspired it, but it's the overall... Um, theme of Satan versus humanity, (laughs) I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, Just how Satan is always trying to destroy us and destroy the church. Um, And so that's kind of where it comes from, is that, um, you know, Satan and the demons are trying to pull us away from our family, pull us away from um, church, you know, like just destroy our lives basically. And so that honestly is was the biggest um um like theme that I used to um kind of come up with the the demolites so with just how mm-hmm. Satan works in our lives.
0: It's hmm. interesting. Yeah I, I recognize some parallels in what you've described to Especially Tolkien, that notion of we must fight in this world of ours, but if we ever become as ruthless as the enemy, we become the enemy. That there's limits to what we can do in the service of good.
1: Yeah. And in the third book, there's actually kind of some vigilantes that Mm -hmm. kind of come about. And that's, you know, kind of their thing is that they start off like with wanting to do good but then they end up doing bad mm-hmm. um you know kind of the as you as you just explained like that
2: um you
1: know they had they had good um in mind when they started mm-hmm. out but then they yeah they took it too far and became ruthless themselves
0: yeah yeah and yeah. Then- and our culture really kind of rewards that in our media and our storytelling. Um, we tend to imagine that that truly loving a cause or something is that you know when you give a hundred and ten percent kind of thing, when the only the only person whom we owe that sort of fidelity is God Himself. Um, how do you think? How do you think we get out of this trap? Um, <clears throat> I think it's
1: recognizing that you know the 100 percent does go to god and mm-hmm. what um what he calls us to do is like that's what we need to focus on and um and do all things out of love um you know basically love of god you do it for that reason um so I think even if it comes to like our our family, um, if we give like too much devotion to them, mm-hmm. so that we can't, um, that we're not properly worshiping God, then there's a problem there. Yeah. You no. Know, so it's always keeping it in perspective that God is number one in our lives.
0: And it's it's amazing how easy it is to lose sight of that. Hmm. So let's pull back a bit and look at the series as a whole, and your, your writing in general, actually. What are your main sources of inspiration? Who are some of your favorite novelists or storytellers?
2: Um,
1: well, when I was in high school, I started reading a lot of Jeanette Oak, and she's a Protestant novelist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I think I have probably read like all of her books. Um, and I like them as in they were kind of like prairie life and, and that type of thing. And the, there were aspects of faith in it. But at the same time, they were kind of like so obviously Protestant that sometimes they, it kind of annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, people came to know Christ and suddenly they had no more problems. And I'm like, uh, no, we have confession for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank um, God. But, yes, exactly. Yeah. But her books are what made me. See that, like, it is possible to have faith in a story, you know. So that's kind of what started me out. Um, As far as my books, overall, my goal is that I want to evangelize, right? I want to show, um, I want people to grow, the readers, to grow deeper in love with Christ by reading my book. I want them to. Grow um, closer to the church by reading my books. Um, so ultimately, like I'm, I, I want to evangelize, you know, and my prayer, I always pray, um, especially when I'm in church in front of the tabernacle or at Eucharistic adoration, is Father, give me the words you want me to write, the stories you want said, the truths you want told. And so that's that's the prayer and um i just kind of try to open myself up and be like what does he want me to write about you know um at the same time i kind of use the theme of the title at least for the annabelle of ankeny series to kind of um lead where the story is going so um for example, the second book is Hearts Release, and so that's about forgiveness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the third book is um, uh, Kingdom's Call, and so that's about doing, you know, the will of the Father, as as well as doing what's good, you know, for the actual kingdom. Um, so it's got a, kind of got a two way on that one. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So the title that I I pick kind of leads the way
0: as well. Hmm. It's, I, I do the same thing with articles sometimes. That's interesting. So why would you say stories are so important to us as humans and as Catholics?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, Christ taught through stories, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> the parables, so um, you know, if he thought it was good enough, then yeah. <laughs> we should too.
0: These little <laughs> and biased in the beginning was the word and all that.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and you know, if so many people are drawn to fiction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, if we, if people that are not strong in their Catholic faith mm-hmm. don't write fiction, then what? What is left? in the
2: world. You
1: know what I mean? Um so, you know, we're less with like vampires and werewolves and all that um witches and stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's like no, we need the the truth to come out through fiction.
0: You don't think there's any Catholic truth in Dracula?
1: Oh, oh there is. Okay. (laughs) About the um the yeah, grace coming the, through the sacraments and the sacramentals, yeah. that
0: sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're not against all vampire fiction.
1: No, no. I'm just. I'm thinking about like yeah. modern day, where it's it's basically, you know, I, I feel like it's just done just to sell books.
0: and yeah. Well, know, and that. I think you raise a very a very important point about an obsession with darkness versus kind of acknowledging yeah. darkness.
1: That is true. Yeah. And see, I kind of. I kind of feel like that is you know like as I mentioned before the Harry Potter and the Da Vinci Code like Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was any intention of the writer to kind of pull people towards that direction but that's kind of what happened or at least what some people have said Mm -hmm. and so it's like well that's not good we need something to counteract that and
0: yeah well that's an interesting point stories are powerful and stories are, to a certain extent, in some ways, independent of their creators, independent of the creator's intent, and and that's I mean that's part of what makes them wonderful. But also, I think you're right that certainly they can they can have unintended consequences, um, even if some of those consequences could have been predicted. Um, I wonder. Well, I mean, the real challenge, of course, is that even Scripture has been misused and abused, and the devil can quote Scripture for his own ends.
2: Yeah.
0: That's interesting. So in light of that power of story and in light of what you've said about the role that your writing plays in your own life, what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring Catholic writers? <clears throat> <Excuse
2: me. clears
1: throat> I would tell them that if they feel like they're a writer than to write.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, write a story they would want to read and, you know, don't even think about getting it published until, like, you've actually written something. <laughs> um, I think some people go into
2: the, the mind that,
1: like, if they don't have, if they don't get something published, they're not a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my point is that if you're a writer, then write. Mm-hmm. Know? And if you're truly called to write, then through your process of writing, you will grow closer to God through your process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think it's to mostly um, just write for yourself. And, you know, if it gets to a certain point, where you're like, oh, this is really good. I want to mm-hmm. share it with the world. Then pursue publishing. Because um, that's that's what I did with Annabelle's story. Like, I did not uh, I worked on it for like five or six years until I even thought about publishing it. And it mm-hmm. was only because I got to a certain point where I was like, you know what? This is pretty good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then if you are seeking someone's advice, like don't your mom
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> don't go to like close family members that you know just love you and want you to do well because mm-hmm. they might not give you the honest truth <laughs> like you got to yeah. seek out someone who's gonna give you the honest truth truth of whether it's it's good or not you
2: yeah.
1: know Um. so but yeah overall if you're a writer then right
0: okay and how how does one navigate that that challenging balance of, on the one hand, allowing the faith to inform your fiction, and on the other hand, not simply preaching?
1: Yeah, um, I think it has to do with the characters for one. So, like, for example, the reason Annabelle was five when we first meet her is mm-hmm. that, that she can learn, you know, about like what's first communion and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um because it would be age appropriate, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I think it has to to do with with that and just the way you go about it. Um, I mean, that's it's not something that I've sat down and really thought about. Its I just do it, and if it's you know I write something, if it seems like preaching to me, then I delete it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a certain um, formula to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's that challenge. That classic line. I think it wasn't it the poet Allen Ginsberg, "Kill your darlings," um, that that in order to write well, that often you have to be ruthless with yourself. The things that you like best are sometimes the things that just have to go. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, to give an example um, for my first book. Originally, when Annabelle met her family for the first time, mm-hmm. I had, like, 30 pages typed typed up in Microsoft Word, mm-hmm. and something happened to it. Like, it corrupted, mm-hmm. and I couldn't open it, so I lost, like, 30 pages of writing. But I was like, oh, well, I guess God didn't want me to write that, so yeah. um, I wrote something new, which is what's in the book now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know.
0: <laughs> Taking the bitter with the sweet
1: yeah exa- exactly and that's that's always my prayer too is that you know if you don't want me to write this then um or like i'm, I'm willing to change it because i want to see it as your story not mine
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so not being so rigid i like oh this has to be in there you know
2: yeah. okay
0: well great i'm sure that everyone is looking forward to the third book in the series and I think that we have given our readers, our listeners, something to think about. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me on.
0: To order Annabelle of Ancony: Burdens of the Mind by Ruth Apollonia, please visit shopmercy.org. This has been Sparks of Mercy. Thanks for listening. Pray for me. I'll pray for you.
3: Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit Divine Mercy Plus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's Divine Mercy Plus.org. Are you a Marian helper? to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.